everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Speak Plainly podcast, where we speak plainly about things that matter. I'm your host, Owl Medicine, and today's topic that matters is going to be really fun. We're actually going to be talking about two phenomenon that most people are familiar with, probably one more than the other, and we're going to look at them kind of end to end and see what consequences occur as a result of one of these phenomenon feeding directly into the next one. All right. So the first phenomenon that we're going to talk about is the new car phenomenon. And a little bit later, we're going to talk about the Stockholm Syndrome. And then we're going to put these two pieces together to explain how conditioning happens. So this is going to be fun. Try to stick with me. And by the end of it, you're going to be going, what? Because that's what I did when I like stuck these two ends to end and realized really with accuracy and great detail how exactly we get the stories in our head that we carry with us from childhood on. So here we go. All right, the new car phenomenon. Most people are pretty aware of the new car phenomenon. If you're not, it's basically the, you decide that you're gonna go get a new car because your 98 Corolla finally finally died or you just got sick of it. <laughs> and so you're, you decide to look around and you want a car that you hadn't, you don't really see all that much of. So you buy a red smart car. The kind of car really doesn't matter because as soon as you buy that car, guess what? They're everywhere, right? They're freaking everywhere. They, and it's not like the whole world went out and bought red smart cars on the same day that you did. That doesn't make any sense. What's happened is now that you have one, it's important to you, and you start seeing it everywhere. You start seeing evidence of, these, of that all around you in the environment. So that's the new car phenomenon. What drives the new car phenomenon though because that's that's just the name that we know for an in, for an actual biological system that's functioning in the brain that biological system is called the reticular activating system and the reticular activating system is so effing cool the reticular activating system's entire job is to filter out the red smart cars when we don't own one the whole job is to filter out the 99% of things that are happening around us in our environment all the time that don't matter to us at all. That's a really good thing because if we did notice all of those things, we would freak out, shut down, our brains would be totally overwhelmed, and we would be screwed. So it's a great thing that we have this reticular activating system, or I'm going to call it the RAS for short. So the RAS's job, like I said, is to filter out things in the environment, but it doesn't filter everything, right? Like there's clearly things that we pay attention to, whether we are consciously paying attention to them or not. So these things that we subconsciously pay attention for, that's the real key for the RAS. We subconsciously pay attention for our name. We subconsciously 
are always scanning for our name in case somebody is talking to us, needs to get our attention for one reason or another. I'm sure you've had this experience where you're not paying any attention at all and somebody hollers your name and you turn your head. We all know that. That's the reticular activating system at work. Another thing that the RAS makes sure to not filter out is if our partner wants to have sex. That makes sense too, right? I mean, from an evolutionary perspective, if your partner wants to have sex, it's a really good idea that like for the species for you to notice that and be aware of that. Um, and I'm sure you probably have noticed this. You're sitting at home and your boo sticks out, like is wandering around the house and sticks their booty out just right or something, you know, and you're like, oh, hmm. and it catches your attention. So that, too, is the reticular activating system at work. That's also another important thing. But those two are very specific important things. The last thing that the reticular activating system lets through is categorized as things that are important to you. <laughs> so clearly, the reticular activating system only lets in things that are, that are really important. Really important no matter what the context is. Things that are important enough for your subconscious to be constantly aware of them. And when they show up in your environment, that your RAS then picks on picks up on the fact that it's in the environment and brings that to your awareness. So the things that are important to you, it's kind of vague, but anything that is important to you is probably important to you because you've heard it over and over and over again. And even if you hadn't heard it over and over and over again, you probably have said it over and over and over again. And the things that are important to us are really about ourselves. So our self-talk is a really important thing for us because our self-talk reflects how we feel about ourselves, the way we view ourselves in the world. So... If your self-talk is constantly negative, then that's important to you. It's important to you that you see yourself as a piece of shit or you see yourself as always wrong or you see yourself as the person that everything goes wrong for. If that is an important piece of who you are, guess what the reticular activating system is going to be scanning for all the damn time. So that's the reticular activating system. And that's what gives rise to the new car phenomenon. All right. Part one down. Are you still with me? I hope that wasn't that wasn't too weird. The next one. Now we're going to talk about Stockholm syndrome. Now, pretty much everybody knows about Stockholm Syndrome because it's really weird. It's a it's a weird psychological phenomenon that is hard to explain on a surface level because on surface level, it don't make no damn sense. It doesn't make any sense that people originally the Stockholm Syndrome was um, because there was a bank robbery in Stockholm. People were taken hostage and the people who were taken hostage then refused to testify against their captors. And so they called it Stockholm Syndrome. And it's been well documented as a phenomenon, people being locked in basements and kept away for years and years, and then they refuse to testify against their captors. 
So what exactly is Stockholm Syndrome and what's going on? Well, Stockholm Syndrome only happens in a captor, capti type of situation, right? And at least the captee has to be aware that they are captive because on the superficial level, it doesn't make any sense that a dangerous captor would somehow get the the love and favor of the person that they are keeping against their will. But on a deeper level, it begins to make sense when you think about the fact that a captive person, by definition of being captive, means that they cannot escape. So when you face danger, when I face danger, any of us, our bodies go into fight, flight, freeze, fawn. But our primary directives are to either fight the danger or to escape the danger. And if you can't fight the danger because you're held, you're held captive and you will lose, or you assume that you will lose because there is such a power differential in one way or another that is expressed in the dynamic of that captor-captee relationship, or if you can't run away because you are captive, then what are you going to do? You can't fight. You can't flight. And you're already kind of frozen, stuck there. So what are you going to do? Well, what's the safest dynamic that a person can have with their captor? If you got picked up, stolen away, locked in a basement, and kept there for 15 years, at some point, maybe a few years in, maybe a few weeks in, you start to recognize, at least subconsciously, that you can't escape, you can't fight. So the safest thing that you can do, since you're just stuck there with them anyway, is to make your captor happy. Because he, he is your god. He controls everything. So really the best thing that you can do since you can't fight him and you can't escape him is to just make him happy. So what's the easiest way to keep a captor happy? Agree with them constantly. Take their world as your world. Take their opinions as your opinions. Become so attuned to their wants and desires and needs and their motivations that you can assume the same motivations, wants, desires, and needs. Because if your needs are aligned with theirs, then they're going to be as happy as they can possibly be, and they're basically your god. So that actually makes sense, right? So when you break it down and look at what's happening in the situation and how a person would must, like, must respond, Stockholm Syndrome begins to make a lot of sense. Okay, well, now we've covered uh, the new car phenomenon via the RAS, or Reticular Activating System, and now we've covered the Stockholm Syndrome. But how in the world do these two things mesh? Well, the first thing that you have to admit is, whether you like it or not, all children are captive to their parents. All of them. So, every child in the world is set up for the first 18 years of their life or less to in a, in a they're set up in a situation where Stockholm syndrome could easily happen because they 
are actually captive. Now, it's a good thing that they're captive because without your parents, you would die. You wouldn't be able to, especially at a young age, you wouldn't be able to get your own food and protect yourself or young enough, you wouldn't even be able to regulate your own body temperature and you would just die. So it's a good thing that we're captive to our parents. And that's 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 great and wonderful because however messed up your parents like may have been, you probably would have been worse off if you didn't have any you'd probably be dead so that's a thing and i know it makes people uncomfortable but that's the reality every single child in the united states including you was captive to people at some point in time so what happens if your parents are actually abusive or what if they're neglectful Or what if they're just kind of chaotic and don't meet all of your needs consistently? Well, unmet needs as a child is physically unsafe because you don't really have any needs besides survival needs. And if you don't get those survival needs met, you feel like you're going to die because you don't know any better because you're a child. So that feeling gets ingrained into your body. It gets programmed into your body when you have unmet needs. But if your captor holds a certain set of values, then you're going to hold that certain set of values, right? And as kids, that makes perfect sense. That lines up. You're, you are, if you're raised in a Christian family, you're probably going to be Christian. If you're raised in a Muslim family or an atheist family, at least until you're old enough to rebel, you're going to go along with the things that they tell you because you don't know any better. So you're going to go along with them. You are absolutely doing the thing that the Stockholm Syndrome people do, which is to essentially assimilate all of the beliefs and perspectives of the world and of yourself from your captor. So this means if you're told you're too emotional, you're too loud, you're too this, you're too that, guess what you're going to believe? You don't have a choice to say no. If you say no, you're gonna piss off your captor. And if you're afraid of mom or you're afraid of dad because mom's inconsistent or flighty, dad's an alcoholic, somebody strung out on drugs, somebody like whatever your situation is, if they are unsafe at any regular kind of interval, you're going to get that unsafety driven into your heart. If they believe that children should be seen and not heard and you are a child then you're going to believe that you shouldn't speak. You don't have a choice because that's the way that you were told the world operates. So some of these beliefs will bump up against experience. And that's when we start to see that, oh, our parents aren't all-knowing gods. We go to school and we see other children who do speak up and speak out. And they get treated differently than we do because of it. But ultimately, those beliefs about the world, about how to behave, and about yourself are given to you by your parents in this very much Stockholm Syndrome thing. So imagine that 
you're five years old and your mom works 12 hour shifts. She works 12 hour shifts six days a week or seven days a week. She's exhausted all the time. And when she comes home and you're so excited and she's on, she's on however many days in a row, 12 hours just got off of work and you start screaming because you're so happy to see your mom and she tells you that you're being too loud that you're always too loud whenever she gets mad at you because she's exhausted it doesn't mean that she doesn't love you it just means that she's exhausted but you don't know that as a child so your takeaway from that is i can't get excited and if that only seems to happen because you get really happy with joy and you want to express that joy, then eventually what happens is you learn that expressing that joy is unsafe. And then you have this physical imbalance of inside you, you have this feeling of joy that desperately wants to come out, but you can't let it out. And over, over time, not being not letting it out eventually tells you that you can't let it out. And if you can't let it out, then what's the point in even feeling it? So then you learn to suppress joy. Because you expressing joy has consequences that are painful to you, that are literally making you feel unsafe. So for you, the expression of joy, the feeling of joy, literally just experiencing joy is uncomfortable because at some point your captors told you that expressing joy was unsafe. And eventually that, uh, that got turned into feeling joy is unsafe. And so now, whenever you start to get really excited about something, you're terrified that something is going to go wrong. As soon as you get good news, you immediately start listening for the next shoe to drop. Okay, so now we have the Stockholm Syndrome piece. Let's tie it into the new car phenomenon. So let's take this same story of not being able to express joy, not being able to look for joy. Now, that's a really important thing because every time that you do that, you're afraid mom is going to freak out on you. So now you are constantly looking for ways to make sure that you are not going to experience joy. Your subconscious mind will look for perspectives because this reticular activating system includes pieces of the prefrontal cortex. So you will, as you develop and through your entire adult life, you will constantly be searching your environment to find a perspective that will agree with the thing that tells you that I cannot experience joy or it will cause harm. And Everywhere that you look, you will find that in the same way that everywhere you look, you will find your new red smart car. I hope I've made this clear. I hope that hit you like a ton of bricks because when I realized this, it did to me. It absolutely felt like I got hit by a ton of bricks. I was floored. Like I, I understand. I understand conditioning and psychological complexes i i got it i have for a long time i knew what complexes were when i was a kid because i recognized that they were real in my life that i was told things so many times that i just believed that they were true but having it laid out so plainly in well-known well-documented phenomenon is immensely powerful I think it's absolutely, it is immensely powerful because do you know what this means? Like this podcast is all about things that matter. 
I want to talk about things that matter. The new car phenomenon doesn't really matter. The Stockholm Syndrome doesn't really matter unless you buy a new car or you are held captive and really not a big deal. But these two principles, these two systems, these two phenomena, when placed end to end, when you recognize that all children are captors, which means they're in the exact situation that they need to be to experience Stockholm Syndrome, if you then add an abusive parent to that, you are absolutely, absolutely going to wind up with these complexes that are just you regurgitating about yourself the same things that your parents said about you and that your teachers said about you, that your exes said about you. Because these things, when they hurt us, they become important. Then we constantly Rolodex the same crap about ourselves over and over and over again, making it important and keeping its importance very, very front and center to our reticular activating system, who is then searching constantly in real time our environment for perspectives that will confirm our bias, right? This is confirmation bias. The reticular activating system is confirmation bias. When you tie these two together, Stockholm Syndrome to the reticular activating system and this new car phenomenon, what it really means, why it matters, is that you didn't have a choice. And all of the years of you believing terrible things about yourself aren't your fault. And when I say that to people, the first thing that they think is, but I have evidence. Yes, you do. You do. You have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 fucking years of evidence. And guess where that evidence came from? The reticular activating system. That new car phenomenon. It wasn't real evidence. All it was was assumptions about an event in the environment based on your past experiences and the things that were important to you. Avoiding pain is important. Seeking pleasure is important. Those are kind of the two fundamental drives of the human species, of really any living thing. Seek pleasure, avoid pain. So the things that you seek, the way that you seek pleasure, the way that you pursue pleasure is important to you. And you will constantly look for that in the environment. But the things that cause you pain, you will constantly constantly be looking for in order to avoid that pain again. So any horrible experience that you have that then plays over and over and over again in your head, the reason it's playing over and over and over again in your head is to prevent you from doing it again. You you are want to make sure that you're not going to repeat that. So your reticular activating system is constantly searching for the environment to look for situations that remind you of the past situations that caused you pain. And one thing that we know about science now and specifically like particle physics and all that is you will find what you're looking for. Period. You're going to find it. The new car phenomenon shows it. If you don't believe me, go outside. Every time you're outside, look for heart-shaped things in nature. Just look for look for heart-shaped things in nature. You'll start looking for them. You'll start you'll you'll start seeing them. Look for heart-shaped rocks, 
clouds, whatever. You can just you can just look for rocks. And if you look for heart shaped rocks in nature, you're going to start finding heart shaped everything, trees and flowers and and clouds and and buildings and people and just perspectives of things that aren't heart shaped that make it look kind of heart shaped from your angle. Because now heart shaped things are important to you. So your reticular activating system is looking for them and has found them and says, hey, look, this is important to you. And now you found it and you can go, oh, isn't that sweet? Super cute, but also super useful because that proves you can train your reticular activating system. Yeah, you can train it. You can train it to look for things other than I'm a piece of shit. Everything goes wrong. Why does everything that goes wrong start with me? How do I screw everything up? You can start finding things other than that. You can start finding anything other than that. So the trick to this is if you want to start finding things other than your negative self-talk in the world, you can look for heart-shaped rocks and you can find heart-shaped things, but that really doesn't have any consequences on your mental health other than the momentary like, oh, that's pleasant. But you can choose to change your narrative about yourself. You can't lie to yourself. You're, you're too smart for that. Your brain's too smart for that. You're just going to reject it entirely because you're going to find evidence everywhere because you have years of evidence pointing to the opposite. Like, I believed I was too much. And then I tried, I, because I believe, I, dr- I truly believe in my heart that every single person on this planet deserves to exist just because that they exist. And that everybody is perfect the way they are in their own imperfect way. But I can't I can't use that. That doesn't work for me. I tried. I tried the whole I'm fine just the way I am. And that's bullshit. I don't believe that. I know I don't believe that. So it didn't work. So then I I had to change that. I was like, all right, let me let me step back a, a ways from that to I'm a lot that I believe. But that isn't a judgment. That's just a statement. It's a statement of fact of something that is true, but puts things steadily in my control. If I'm too much, the consequence of that is every single place I go, I won't fit. Every single place I go, people are having to tolerate me because I am incongruous. And whatever your thing is, I'm too fill in the blank. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sure you got one, 10, 40. I'm too blah, blah, blah. Whatever yours is, it's going to be the same. You can't choose the opposite, but you can manipulate that phrase to something that is accurate, that you do believe, but it's better. So I went from I'm too much to I'm a lot. And that worked because I am a lot, but that meant that how much I give is in my control. I'm a lot, but that, uh, that a lot is inspiring to people. That a lot is also taxing to people. And eventually, I got tired of the I'm a lot too because there was still too much weight that got, that was really involved in that. This whole I'm believing that I'm a lot because then at least I had control over how people were going to accept me, how people were going to, how people were going to see me and interact with me is in my control under the I'm a lot. But, That means that 
I'm constantly evaluating, looking for, I'm constantly on guard trying to make sure that I'm not being too much because I know that I'm a lot and the line between I'm a lot and I'm too much is very thin. So I changed it again later. Took took about two years, I think. But I eventually changed it from I'm too much to I'm a lot to I'm just enough. And I think that one's going to stay because every time I say it, I smile. And it's because it's true. I am just enough. I know I am a lot, but I know how to give just enough. I am. I like I'm too much for some people. I know that that's still true, but that's not the mantra that's in my head. I know that I'm a lot and that's still true, but that's not the mantra in my head because the mantra that's in my head that works. That is also true is I'm just enough. It's kind of close to I'm I'm perfect the way that I am, but not really because it was it's actually true and I could I can believe it. So you can change this too. You can choose to create your own reality. We're all choosing to create our own reality constantly by letting certain things play over and over and over in our heads. Specifically, whatever bad things you're trying to avoid, you will manifest. And the reason that you will manifest it is the reticular activating system. You will try to avoid pain. So you will constantly search the environment for situations that remind you of a painful event. And then you will just live your life constantly wary of repeating said painful event. So there it is. That's today's podcast. Conditioning. How exactly we become conditioned. Um, and I think this is a really cool one. I, I hope that you enjoyed it. I really liked sticking these two ends to end. I was very, very pleased with this. Um, I'm pretty pleased with myself on this one. I'm not going to lie just cause it's, it's really simple and super powerful and it applies to everybody, not just abused. There's a lot of ways that a child can feel unsafe. Specifically, if you come from a well-to-do family that's highly educated, high in the social ranking, high competitiveness, then you're going to leave that world with beliefs that don't really bump up against other beliefs in school because... Like children are supposed to be seen and not heard. I, I can I can watch and observe other families that clearly don't believe that. But people in those kind of more elitist families, they know that you can not work hard and you can not do these things. And essentially, they believe that that would be detrimental. And that's that's a lower calling that they're that it's better to be more elite and more exclusive. And. These types of families tend to withhold love for anything that's less than excellence. And if that's what happens to you, to me, that's absolutely abuse. But most people wouldn't call it that. Most people wouldn't call it that. I don't think it's purposeful abuse, but I do think it's abuse. So what happens then? What beliefs do you come away with? What things were said in your household? What, what crap were you told over and over and over again that eventually became important to you? And you know they're important to you because you find yourself occasionally repeating them. Maybe you repeat them often. 
The things that you repeat over and over and over in your head, those are the things that your reticular activating system picks up on and searches your environment for to confirm your reality. I know I'm repeating myself, but that's what I'm doing here. I'm trying to really drive home that your reality is created in real time by your reticular activating system and you can change it. Go look for heart-shaped rocks. Look and think about the things that you carry with you. Things about, think about the things that you find important. Important for yourself, important for how you're supposed to operate in the world, for what a good person does. These are baseline assumptions that are made and usually inherited by our families that we don't often think about, but those are the things that wind up having the greatest impact and being the most important for us. So if you made it this far in the podcast, thank you very, very much for listening. I hope that this was insightful for you. I hope this was inspiring for you. I hope it was also entertaining for you, if nothing else. I love this crap. I think it's fan frickin tastic If you think it's fan frickin tastic too, consider contributing on Patreon. Y'all have a marvelous freaking day. And remember, stay blessed and stay uncomfortable. 